when you're a leader, you're holding both in both hands at all times. You're saying, am I creating systems that could scale if I disappear while also always acknowledging and asking myself, how can I make this person the person God made them to be? How can I raise them up to bring the best out of them? Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Now, we make no bones about the fact that we are building this business in public. And what that means is that we're not going behind the scenes to create something that's perfect and polished and done and then bringing it to the world to show all of you. No, we are literally learning and testing and trying and building as we go and sharing it with you with the idea that you could learn from the principles and practices that we are learning in real time. And part of that is that we've done two Building in Public podcast episodes with our COO, Zach Estes. And those episodes have just been so popular and so fun. And we've heard so many of you talking about how you took principles from those episodes and have applied them to start operationalizing your business and start applying some of the principles to your personal growth as well that Zach and I talked about. And so it was in that context that I really thought the next best thing to do within this building in public theme would be to talk with our coaching manager, Olivia Graham. Now, Olivia has had a front row seat and really an integral role in the building of this business over the course of the past two years. Truly, when we got to a point very early on, like in the first two weeks of the business, where we exceeded my capacity as a contributor and as a coach, she was the first person that I called. And I said, hey, I've got this crazy idea. You want to join the team? And she joined as as a contractor. And for a year and a half, she led growth groups and one-on-one coaching in so many ways and was just such a productive productive member of this team to the point where, and you'll hear some of this in this conversation, just in the past six months, she's stepped into a leadership role as a full-time team member, and her title is coaching manager at Path for Growth. And within that role, she's really responsible for standardizing the principles and practices that have made one-on-one coaching at Path for Growth so effective up to this point, and then creating a format and a system that is operationalized for developing one-on-one coaches that can exemplify the five qualities of effective coaching that we've talked about on this podcast, which is relational, curious, assertive, directional, and principle-based. And she's just been off to such an incredible start. The amount of work she's accomplished in six months is absolutely insane. And so I wanted you to hear about what Olivia's learned about leadership, about personal growth, about business in her time working at Path for Growth and just in her time growing as a leader and an individual herself. But before we got into all of that, I wanted you to know just a little bit about who Olivia is. And I felt like it would be fun to jump in with some rapid fire questions. The first one being that she would tell us about the cow that she owns. (laughs) Okay, well, first of all, I technically own a cow, but it's not, it doesn't feel like mine because it doesn't live in my yard. But I, I own a partial share of a cow and I get milk from it regularly. <laughs> okay. <well, laughs> since we're doing rapid fire questions, we're just going to leave it there. And if people want to ask you follow up questions on that, they can. So, uh, okay. Uh, now, maybe uh, a little bit more uh, serious. I want to know one lesson that you've learned from gardening. Oh, I was talking to someone about this yesterday. Okay. So I don't know if this is a cultural thing if it's a generational thing, but we have a proclivity to be afraid of starting things, just in general, something I've observed. And the thing about gardening is you actually can't know everything about gardening 
and you just have to know if your yard has enough sun and what zone you're in, and you got to put a seed in the ground and go from there. So I think the exercise is you just have to start in order to learn. That's probably my biggest takeaway from gardening. Dang, that's so good. And it turns out that's probably true about literally everything. <laughs> like right? You can't know everything about everything <laughs> until you start. Okay, uh, give us one funny Noah story. And for people that don't know, Noah is Olivia and Will's two-year-old two son now? Yeah. Oh, goodness. I don't know if I should share this on a podcast, so we might need to update the edit this one out. But yesterday, he was in the Lifetime locker room with my husband, Will, and he asked why does mama go to a different room? And Will was explaining that mama's a girl, we're boys. And he said, but everybody has booties. And (laughs) 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 profound. He's not wrong. (laughs) I mean, if that's not the title of a children's book, I don't know what is. Everybody has booties. I I love it. So that'll be a core memory. I'm sure I'll think about that on my deathbed. <laughs> yes, that's right. And I'm sure he will hear about that memory for the rest of his life. So that's I'm good. sure. Uh, <laughs> that's great. Okay, book that's made the biggest impact on the way you live. I feel like mo- as a Christian, the Bible. I'll say a second answer, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's by far my most referenced book and by far... The book I feel when I point to seasons of exponential growth, it's because I have taken what I've read in that book and truly applied it. Mm, Okay. Is is there a concept from that book that you feel like you reference most? Yes. Okay. So one of his habits is start with the end in mind. And that to me, if you can not even master that idea, but just make it part of your everyday thinking, you will radically change how you approach whatever it is in your life, whether it's making dinner or legacy journey planning. You know, it it doesn't matter what it is. If you start with the end in mind, you're going to have different results. Gosh, I love that. That so naturally uh, kind of sets up for one of the discussion points that we have in this conversation, because I know one of the principles that you highlighted in the outline you sent over before t- beforehand was start with the end of mind. So, man, that's going to be really good. Okay, a couple more rapid fire questions. Favorite path for growth moment in the two years that you've worked on the team? Oh, that's so hard. I feel like I was able to really rapidly answer all those other questions. <laughs> talk about my cow, talk about my garden. That sounds so hard. I don't know. I think I, I don't know if this is my favorite, but I think one of my sweetest memories is just the first memory when I was standing in my kitchen, I was holding Noah, he was six months old. And you called me and you said, I have this crazy idea. Cause that to me just felt like these are the, I I had this moment where I was like, this is a good old days moment right now. And you said, Hey, I have this crazy idea. I really want to start what we now call growth groups. And I said, okay, great. Let me call Will real quick, see if he feels good about that. Because at the time I owned my own business and we had a six month old. So should I be adding more? Called Will. He said, yeah, that sounds great. Called you back. I'm in. I think we had a growth group within two weeks from that conversation. So that just, (laughs) I think it's sweet memory. I think it highlights how scrappy and fun everything has been from the beginning. So I don't know if that's my favorite, but that's what comes to mind. 
Mm. I we need to know to start- your answer to that. Do you have a favorite? <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I think m- mine that involves you directly would be that moment as well. I'll just never forget that phone call. But I was going to say, I feel like we need to uh, start cataloging or start cataloging the number of conversations that starts with, so I have this crazy idea. <laughs> and then me saying, okay, well, let me call Will. Let's just, he, he's our, for everybody listening, Will's my husband and also mine and Alex's filter on most yes. things. <laughs> That's right. Filter, moderator, facilitator, all of those roles. Sometimes mediator, all the good stuff. I I love it. I I thought about putting in a rapid fire question of you're you're having a kid in July, your second child. And I was going to ask, what's the kid's name? But I know you're not sharing that. So I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you do that. Well, Um, I don't know if they're a boy or a girl. So I I really don't know. And and funny story is when Noah was born, it, it took us three, maybe four days to name him after he was born. So I don't know. That is why. Okay. So you have to share a little bit of the thought process. Why do you not want to know the gender ahead of time too? Because I know that that's, I mean, that's obviously an intentional decision and also probably really difficult. This is me personally. I don't think that this is like a blanket opinion that actually applies because there's so many people who find out the gender of their baby. And I think that's great. For me personally, I really enjoy the experience of not knowing them and being curious about them and then finding out essentially who they are when they come out. So boy or girl, their name, as opposed to finding out the gender at 20 weeks, naming them. And then I have my imagination running wild as to who this person already is. And so to me, it's like you have this moment when you see them, him or her for the first time, and you're like, it's you. It's so good to meet you and let me get to know you. And for whatever reason, finding out the gender and naming them beforehand just feels like I wouldn't have that. That's beautiful. That's awesome. I'm so excited for y'all. The Graham family is growing. It's very cool. Okay, well, uh, kind of stepping into the concepts we're going to talk about in our conversation today, you kind of alluded to it already. Since the last time you've been on this podcast, you've transitioned from being a contractor of Path for Growth to a full-time leader at Path for Growth. You are still a coach within our team, but you're also the coaching manager in our team. And so people have a little bit of context on kind of that transition. I'd love for you just to share a little bit of what that journey was like going from what was a contractor, what going from being a friend to being a contractor to being a full-time team member that's now a leader of this business. So can you share a little bit of that journey? So I own my own business simultaneously while I was a contractor. And my role as a contractor was I, I did coaching for our growth groups and one-on-one customers. And what ended up happening was last last summer during our experience, which was one of the coolest things I think we did last year, there was a lot of questions that posed mission, vision, values. And I felt very out of alignment in that, in that time because it was something I so strongly believed in, but my business didn't have that. And so I said, like, hard, draw my line in the sand. I'm going home and one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to have mission, vision, values written by the end of the month or I'm going to close my business because that clearly means that there's something off is how I felt. And I had the really fortunate circumstance that Will got to come to the experience with me and we were co-owners together. So he was hearing a lot of the same information and he was feeling very similarly. So we get home 
And we just realized that our business was a stepping stone to get us out of a traditional nine to five, but it wasn't the thing. We didn't feel that passion around creating a mission that mattered, the values that mattered. We didn't have a vision for it. It was truly just like, how are we doing good work, but how are we providing for our family? That was the reason. So we decided to end it. So we come to this season after our very busy fall event time where we were just resting and you were very much a part of that. Resting is hard. Like, I don't feel like I rested. <laughs> I feel like I just sat there. Uh, I, would, I, I would put a pin in that and say resting is hard for some people, I think. And, <laughs> I and by the way, I think you are one of those people, I think. <laughs> I feel like I can't rest unless I earn it. I, I'll just own that. <laughs> and I'm so I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just <laughs> sitting around is how I felt. Not true, but it's how I felt. So anyways, this feels like just such God's provision, like a plan that I could have never come up with for myself because while this is happening, discussions with you and Zach are leaning now towards the next hire being this coaching manager role. And it, it truly was felt coincidental. Like it wasn't because I was selling my business. It was like, this was the obvious next step for Path for Growth. And I just happened to be in a season where I would be able to apply for it. Like had we talked about that a year before, I wouldn't have. So really approach that tentatively because I had a hard time giving up the role and the way I viewed myself as a business owner. And I think a lot of people who listen to our podcast probably feel this way. It's like they relate so strongly to business owner that the idea of giving that up and working for someone else almost feels like you're betraying yourself. And that's how I felt. And so that was my biggest apprehension. It was like the role felt like a slam dunk as far as my skill sets, what I like doing. Um, I was so passionate about it, but I felt so apprehensive about giving that ownership role up. And I really feel like if it wasn't you and Zach I was walking alongside that with, I probably would have just foregone taking on the role because you guys were just so great and gracious talking through that. And so anyways, long story short, I ended up taking the role and I am just so thankful for that and for trusting that these doors and this path was so clearly laid out to me. Um, and now we're here about six yeah. months in. So it's so awesome. Just so cool. And I mean, even hearing you recount that a little bit, I, it's crazy to hear your side of that experience because my side of that experience was I had been putting pressure on myself to simultaneously be the primary one-on-one -on -one coach for the business, but also document and define how we do one-on-one -on -one coaching as a business and then teach and train what that is. And I, for, for months really, and for probably over a year, had worn the pressure of I need to be able to do all three of those and I need to be excellent at those. And I just started to realize like the things that are making me yellow in the areas that matter most for me as a, re a leader using the red, yellow, green method, right? The things that are making me less than what I am supposed to be according to the standard of what I have for myself as a leader is that I'm feeling pressured and obligated to do things that I most naturally procrastinate. And it was literally this moment where I realized, well, 
what do good leaders do? They look at the things that they're not naturally good at, that they most naturally procrastinate. They lift up their eyes a little bit and they say, what if I don't have to do this? What if there's someone on my team that's way better at this than me? And it was like, I kind of let go a little bit. And it was like, the minute I let go, it was like, we started having conversations with you where you were like, oh, by the way, we're thinking of ending this business and I'm looking for what I'm going to be doing full time. It's like, what on earth? Like, it was just such a, I, you know, I mean, I, it's almost like coincidence isn't a proper enough word, right? Like the, just the collision of need and opportunity. It was just such a gift. But but before we jump into the principles that, that we wrote down, I'd love for us to talk a little bit about what we learned or reflecting back on kind of now the lessons that we took from the interview process that we walked through because Zach and I were both friends with you. We had both already worked with you in Path for Growth and even prior to Path for Growth, but this was very much a new thing. And so you went through the same interview gamut that we run everyone else through. And that was kind of a challenging situation because it's like, I'm interviewing someone that I know their work ethic. I know them as a friend, but now we're talking about leveling up. And so we need to make sure we, we put a blank canvas on things. So is, is there anything specific that you learned in that process or reflecting back on that process, you would kind of extract from it and say, this is something leaders should keep in mind whenever they're adding someone to their leadership team? That's a good question. So something you highlighted just then is there was this enmeshment of role, team, personal relationship, et cetera. There was a lot of variables at play that is different than if you're just meeting someone for the first time interviewing for a role. You're starting with a clean slate. And I think that this applies to a lot of things, not just interviewing, but when we feel that enmeshment, that complication, it's important to ask ourselves, why do we feel that way? And try to separate all of the variables. A lot of owners feel this way in their role because they're doing so many different things within the business that everything feels like it's all Alex Judd. But in fact, it's coaching manager, CEO, visionary, content creator, like those are all separate things. So I think when you're feeling that way in an interview process, you need to ask yourself, okay, starting with the end in mind, what do I want to be true of this coaching manager role tactically? What do I want to be true of my personal relationship as a friend at the end of this experience and almost defining them out separately? So that way you have a really clear measurement of how is this going? Does it feel like it's going off base? Am I leaning too heavily in the um, taking care of the friendship, but I'm not paying enough attention to what I really need in the coaching manager? And if it's not separated, then it's not clear. And you can't really do things unless things are clear. I think that that was my biggest takeaway. But what, what was yours? I'd love to hear that. Well, I think it's related to that. And it, I haven't really asked myself this question before, but now in thinking about it, I'm thinking about a specific moment, a specific story, and it's related to the clarity you're talking about. I And I think it's maybe mostly tied into the topic of working with and employing people that are your friends. Because you you and Will are, are some of my closest friends. And that was just something that when we started to have conversations about full-time team member status, it's like there's a part of me that's like, 
this is awesome. And then there's also a part of me that's like, this is really scary because I've never had one of my closest friends also be like a, an employee in some ways. And I'd only known y'all really in a friend context. And that's really what it stayed whenever you were operating as a contractor for us too, I felt like. And, and so I think one of the things that you and I both did well is we asked ourselves, can I be friends with this person and work with them? And can they be friends with me and work with me? And I feel like we were both asking ourselves that question and not feeling pressured to like hold on to a specific answer. Like it was almost like I'm looking at this with a loose grip and saying the answer to that could be no, and that's okay. And that would actually probably be for the best because I value this friendship too much. But the moment I'll tell you, and I haven't shared this with you, the moment that answered that question for me was when I had, I think it was a Wednesday night dinner that we've been having for probably a year now, right? Like just a very long time. Every Wednesday we have dinner over at y'all's house. We'll cook something amazing. And I, I get your kid all wound up and rambunctious <laughs> with wrestling him and then he can't go to bed, right? And it was like we had Wednesday dinner and we talked about friend stuff the entire time and it kind of ran the gamut. And then we went into the living room and we were sitting on the couch and we were just talking and you were in the interview process for Path for Growth at that time, but we really hadn't talked about it that much. We'd said how exciting it was. You hadn't really interviewed with me yet. You were largely talking to Zach and the team at that point. And we were sitting down in the living room and at one point we got into Path for Growth and we were kind of talking around it a little bit and like talking high level. And then you were like, you know, what if I just went and grabbed the whiteboard and we just worked on this? <laughs> and like, I will just never forget, like, literally you coming back into the room with the massive whiteboard. And we probably spent an hour, me, you, and Will, working on something that would be the criteria for hiring coaches moving forward. And it was so good. And, and then we were able to go back to friend conversation. And I was, and I was like, okay, I can be friends with this person and work with them. They can be friends with me and work with me. And both are possible. And for me, that was just something that I learned is you do yourself a disservice when you don't actually allow yourself to, to answer that question honestly. Yes. You know? mm, yes. I love what you just said about asking the question and then holding it with a loose grip. We're not saying we're going to do it. We're just saying if we were to do it, how would we get there? And then you decide. I love that. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I think it, uh, my temptation is often I can't even consider a solution unless I'm committing to applying it. And in reality, it's like we can consider anything. I'll never forget Sarah, Sarah Sloyan, who you and I both work with. She told me at one time in a meeting, she was like, Alex, we can talk about anything. That doesn't mean that we're going to do it, but we can at least talk about it. And it's like, that's so helpful sometimes to just operate in like, the realm of what could be. I think it's really helpful. Okay, so let's jump into some of the principles you wrote down just to give everyone context. In preparation for this conversation, I just messaged Olivia and said, hey, you've now been working with Path for Growth as a team member for about two years now. And it's been six months since you've been in this full-time role. And specifically, what I'd love to talk about is some of the lessons that have really stood out to uh, you over the course of the past six months, stepping into a leadership role within the team. And so we've got a couple of those that I want to run through and we'll just see where it goes from there. But the first one that you wrote down that I thought was so poignant and really, really applicable to what a lot of our people that we work with are going through right now, you said, in order to lead people well, create systems 
systems that support them while also asking yourself, what does this person uniquely need to become the best version of themselves? Uh, So I'd love for you uh, to just explain a little bit of what that means and maybe a little bit of why and how you've learned that in the past six months. So I want you to visualize there's, there's two lanes. There's system, systems and processes, and then there's the individual. So I've seen it play out where a leader is purely systems and processes, and I've seen it where a leader has been purely an individual, and both wreak havoc on a team. So let's expand that out. So when you have systems and processes, Alex, we've talked about this a number of times. They're so important. They're, they're how you scale your business. That You're not reinventing the wheel every time you're approaching a team member, a problem, a product, et cetera. You need them. They're the bones of your business. But what ends up happening is you get so focused on that that you lose the humanity of your team. You lose that spark and scrappiness that I think a lot of owners start missing when when their teams grow because it's not like it was in the beginning. Like this novelty and this everything was just fun and new, right? So you need it because they're the bones, but when you lose the spirit, then that's when business either stops being fun, it's when your customers start recognizing like maybe you're a little different, etc. Then you have the individual. So what we love about individuals is they bring just that to a business, their individuality, their unique skill sets, their unique personalities. But if we let that run amok, then it becomes a mess and it's hard to manage and it's hard to scale. So pretend I were to disappear and you had to get a new coaching manager and we had no systems and processes. Could we guarantee that the same relationship that I have with our coaching team will will get the same results with the coaching team if you had a new person there? No, you can't guarantee that. And so it's marrying the two. When you're a leader, you're holding both in both hands at all times. You're saying, am I creating systems that could scale if I disappear while also always acknowledging and asking myself, how can I make this person the person God made them to be? How can I raise them up to bring the best out of them? And I don't think a system and a process can do that. So just being mindful of both is important when you're looking at your team. Mm. And that connects so much to the coaching series that we did a couple months ago where we asked that question, like, what is the highest calling of a leader? And it's to unleash the best in others. And it just seems like so much of the work that you do with our team as a whole, honestly, because you lead 360 degrees, but then specifically with the coaching team a lot is like not giving answers to them, but extracting answers from them. And don't you just feel like it's a like most of what you're doing right now is a continuation of your coaching role? Does it feel that way to you? Yeah, in a lot of ways, because what is it? I'm, I'm, I'm asking questions. I'm creating basic framework like we do in calls to ultimately set someone up to succeed. I'm giving direction enough for someone to feel like we're going somewhere, but they're the ones who are, who have to make the journey. It very much feels so related. So I just love that that entire series is not based specifically around coaches, but it's based around leaders and that leaders are coaches. So it applies to everybody. And you work with so many of our customers as well on office hours and one-on-one conversations and also in the growth groups that you lead that 
they are constantly wrestling with that tension where they're an impact-driven leader that wants every single individual on their team to feel seen, to feel heard, to feel known, to feel like, man, this place that I'm working right now is the best place I've ever worked and why would I ever leave? Because they don't just care about me as an employee, they care about me as a person. So they feel that deeply. But then the thing they also feel deeply is we need systems and processes to make sure that excellence is repeated, right? And to make sure it's not just wild, wild west, but we have a way that we do things and we guard our standard. And so is there any advice that you'd give to that person that finds themselves in that tension right now? I'll tell you how I approached it. And I, I believe this could be applied to everything. So the first thing was evaluating what is already going well. So it's like when I stepped into this position, you were a coach, Kelly's a coach, and then I was a coach. And so the first question is, we were wild, wild west. We didn't really have that many systems, that many processes around our coaching product, but we were doing a really good job. We were serving people really well. So the question then isn't, what do we need to change? It's, what do we need to bottle? So I started looking at everything and saying, what are the things we're just naturally doing really well that we could start putting systems and processes in place so the next three coaches we hire have the same foundation that the three of us had? So that's that's the first thing I would say is make sure that before you jump in to creating, you evaluate first. The second thing I would say is... Create your systems in such a way that they're not so specific that it decompresses someone's humanity. So examples, what we have as coaching systems is we have standards for how the, the, the coaching calls are going to go. All of our coaches have success statements around what their roles are. And then all of our coaches are on uh, 90-day plans where they're focusing on developing themselves. So it's like, those are three things that provide a lot of structure. But then within that, I'm not trying to make Kelly you. I'm not trying to make you Kelly. We're like, they need to maintain that same level of personality and charisma within the standards that make them individuals. So those are my two off-the-cuff answers, I'd say. I, I think that that's so good because the the last thing that we want to do is build machines because we're like we're never going to be as good of a, a machine as the machine will be, right? I was reading something. I got tagged in some spam thing on LinkedIn today that it ended up distracting me, which it shouldn't have, but uh, I ended up reading it. And, and it was literally kind of talking about the effect of AI and how they're starting to build AI algorithms or something like that for therapy and where people are starting to talk to AI. And it's like, well, that just sounds literally awful, right? But it's like, if if we try to build a machine, right, that we basically equip our coaches with a script of how to be exactly Alex or exactly Olivia, then why would people not opt for AI, right? Because the, the thing that, that you and I have that we can uniquely contribute, that Kelly has, that all of our future coaches have that they can uniquely contribute is their ability to make decisions decisions through the lens of their experience and wisdom and their humanity. And if we extract that because we want process, you may become efficient, but man, I just, I just don't think long-term that's going to be effective, you know? Mm -hmm. No, the way I've, he I've heard it is like, you want it to feel like when you go through the Starbucks drive-thru, everybody makes a vanilla latte the same. Why would you want the same version of some crappy vanilla latte every time you go through the... <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <laughs> No, I love that. <laughs> but all that to say, I do. It's it's 
that's where the tension is. And I think that that's where you were really wise to make it someone's full-time job to live in that tension because it's something that's really hard to do distracted, which is I'm constantly evaluating individuals and I'm constantly evaluating the systems and processes and making sure that one does not outweigh the other. And that's hard to do. So having it be someone's full-time role makes a really big difference. That's, I love, uh, you and I have never talked about that vanilla latte example. We've heard that vanilla latte example before, and clearly you and I have both heard that before, and the conclusion that we've independently drawn is that's a crappy example. I just hate that example. <laughs> because, but th- let's think about why that is. We've never talked about this, but making a vanilla latte at Starbucks really requires zero vulnerability on behalf of, of the individual, right? And I'm not trying to berate anyone that works at Starbucks. Certainly the way that they serve you the vanilla a latte may demand some vulnerability of them if they choose to put themselves out there and be a human being and all of that. But making the vanilla latte, it really doesn't, right? And what we're asking people to contribute is not something that like we created the recipe and now you just have to make the recipe and serve it. It's like, no, we want you to play a role in creating the best possible recipe to meet the best possible needs that this person is interacting with. Like we're not serving chicken sandwiches, we're serving relationship. And we can't write a script for how to serve relationship, but we can catalog best practices for and create the environment in which healthy, life-giving, productive, engaging relationship can occur. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Yes. Something you've done a really good job of from day one that I think our business is continuing to do as our team expands as we are are doing this with you is cataloging best practices. And and that to me is key. Is if you want to replicate yourself in your team, then that is what you have to become a constant learner of. It's like you can kind of think that things just come naturally to you as a as a creator, as a founder, but it's like, no, you actually have things in your mind that you could begin saying out loud for your team to start taking over these principles and then they can work on behalf of the mission. But that's really hard to do. That's really hard to do. And that was the impetus behind creating that coaching series that we released on this podcast is we said, well, we really need to start putting on paper why and how we coach the way that we do. And we'll just release it as a podcast that everyone else is welcome to listen to if they want to as well. But it's like, we literally created that. The primary purpose of that was, let's start putting words to this. But if people go back and listen to that, I think what they'll see is there's a lot of principles, there's a lot of frameworks, but there's not many scripts. And there's like, my goal, I think, for what we're trying to do is we want to give our coaches a tool belt of effective things that they can draw upon, but we're not going to give them step A through Z. We're just going to give them a bunch of principles because I think that's trusting them in some ways, you know? Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. Okay, let's move to the next lesson that you listed because I think it ties into to what we were just talking about as well. You said context and trust are the most important thing you can gather in your first 30 days. So, So this is largely applies to someone who's stepping into a new role or leading new people. Can you explain why and how this lesson stood out to you? There's a number of ways I want to start this. So let's start with context. So a person will not believe they can trust you unless they believe that you understand them. And so to just start a role as if someone trusts you, as if you understand, just feels very naive. And so I was very aware that I was coming into a role where you had led this team, 
Zach had led this team. And so I was, I was in a way the third person and you and Zach are such incredible leaders. And so then to believe that anybody who I was going to be leading would just feel great about it, not working directly with you or directly with, with Zach would just be naive. And so the first thing that I could do to start earning that trust, which would then lend me the ability to start growing the coaching team, developing the coaches, et cetera, was to understand context. And so what I did was I said, okay, if in 30 days I were to fully understand the context of um, the team personally and professionally, what would I need to do? So again, starting with the end in mind. I also asked that question with our product. So I had a rare vantage point of coming in having seen the business grow from the beginning, but now I was full time. And now I was having to look at it from a very different perspective of understanding where you've been coming from. And so for you to trust me to start building what had up until this point just been your product, you needed to believe that I understood your context that became our context. And so I think when you are starting anything new, I don't want to prescribe a specific time frame, but I feel like 30 days is a pretty good time frame, is asking yourself, how can I become the expert of the context that I need in order to do X, Y, Z? And then with that, trust will start coming. And so when I look at trust, when I look at that bucket, I'm wanting people to feel... I'm asking myself, how do I want people to feel when they're interacting with me? So how you're saying that vulnerability, that ability to feel safe, that I have their best interest, that I'm able to then eventually give very specific, maybe hard feedback, and they know that it's coming from a loving place. Like that doesn't come until we put in some reps. So how am I showing, how am I showing up every day in a way that is illustrating to someone that they can trust me. And that came with like specifically working with Kelly on our coaching team just through a lot and a lot of time. Like I think time and asking good questions alongside building that context is a great way to begin. There's so much that's helpful in that answer. One of the things that I thought of was uh, I recently listened to Henry Cloud's book, Integrity. And one of the things that he talks about with regard to empathetic listening is he says most leaders stop too short in that they think that their job as a listener is to understand. And he said that's, that's not the full scope of your job the full scope of your job as a leader is to get the person you're talking to to understand that you understand. And and that's so related to what you just said, right? Because if I understand what you're telling me, but I haven't done the hard work of ensuring that you understand that I understand, then you're going to be operating with the assumption and hypothesis that I don't understand where you're coming from. And we're always going to be a little bit disjointed. And so with that, because I know that uh, effective and intentional listening is something that you've studied a lot, you've read on a lot, and I I just think you're very practiced in, you're you're a very good listener. Is, Is there any things that you've picked up on as practices or tactics for growing as a listener or even principles to understand for growing and listening, Olivia? The first thing that comes to mind is, it is my ego stepping in telling me, you fully understand this now. And constantly being mindful of that and checking that assumption at the door. Because being assertive is intentional. Like saying what you think is 
is part of, of being a good coach, being a good leader. Let's not discredit that. But asking yourself, if I were to ask three more questions, would I actually understand a lot more? And what value would that give as opposed to me assuming I already have all the context. That's something I see all the time in office hours. It's something I see all the time in our coaching sessions is you truly have probably not asked enough questions. And the second thing I would say is respecting the other person is, is key. And by assuming you know more than them contextually, especially when you're new to something, is essentially an, an, an insult. Like if I were to come in and and assume I know more than you, to assume I know more than Kelly and try to start driving for results, that's insulting to both of you. And so I need to be a learner constantly, but especially in that beginning, in order to honestly just respect my team. That is so applicable to the posture I want all of us to hold as coaches moving forward in that I think there is a lot of coaching that's being offered right now, right? We live in the age of advice, right? Like there's a lot of coaching that's being offered that people are literally positioning themselves as I'm the expert on your business, right? And so come to me, this beautiful influencer online and sit at my feet while I extol everything that I know about what you should be doing in your business because you're just not very smart. It just drives me crazy because it's so disempowering to the individual. You're not actually raising someone up as a leader at all. And it's not actually true. In reality, like you and I, the business leaders that we get to work with, they are the expert on their business. Now we get to spend our full-time job learning, studying, applying principles for personal growth, leadership, and business growth. And that's what we do. And we take it very seriously, but they are the expert on their business. And so we can provide the principles that we know and that we observe to them, but then we've honestly got to empower them to say, now you take those principles and you run with them. But but I love what you said about assuming that you know is an assumption that I just think will crush you just in general. It's just not healthy and it's not good. Why is it not healthy? It's not accurate. You don't know. And just assume you don't know. And what a helpful, healthy posture to learn from, you know? Yeah, you. I believe it's in the curious episode of what makes up a good coach. And, and the principle is good coaches don't give answers to people. They abstract answers from people. And that, I think, is it to summarize your question with a really great thing that someone could get tattooed on their arm to remember, that's the principle here. You have to believe that the person you're talking to actually has the answer within themselves. You just have to help them get it out. Well said. Okay, something came to mind that I can't believe we haven't talked about talking about this yet. It was honestly, there were a lot of lessons in this for me that I think would be really, really helpful for the people we work with, especially as it applies to wearing multiple hats within relationship with people, but also making sure that you're working effectively and productively. So well before interviewing for the role of coaching manager became a thing, Olivia and her husband, Will, had planned to spend a month in Mexico, and they had budgeted for that, planned that, created the, you know where I'm going with this, created the trip for that. That was awesome. And, and whenever they were doing that, they called me and another friend, and they were like, hey, if y'all want to come down for a week, we've, we've got space. And although there wasn't much space, we've got space. <laughs> <laughs> the floor and, is space, right? <laughs> yeah, the floor is space. That's right. And, and they were like, hey, come hang in Mexico. And so that was booked, and that was done. Okay. Uh, fast forward, 
that's all on the calendar. Olivia interviews for coaching manager, get, gets hired as coaching manager. Her first week of being coaching manager is in Mexico. And then her <laughs> second week as full-time team member, the CEO of the company that she now works for is sleeping on the floor in the same place <laughs> You Just can't like, make these circumstances yeah, up. <laughs> you can't make this up, right? Uh, okay. And so, I mean, I, I think we should be really real here. Like that was a, it was just a, like, we kind of even looked at each other and were like, this is kind of an odd dynamic. This, and we had such a blast. It was such an unbelievable time. So much, yeah, I mean, you weren't having tequila at that time because you were pregnant already. But I I was having mezcal margaritas and we were eating tacos and spending days at the beach. It was just a blast, right? And at the same time, we were working quite a bit. Like we would have half days or even, you know, hours at a time where we would be working I'd love for us just to reflect on some of the lessons that we learned in that very odd experience, because I I think it honestly provided in an accelerated way some of the principles that we're still using today to make sure we manage this really well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I immediately have thoughts, but do you have a question there before I dive in? Because <laughs> I'm like, yes, okay. I have so many things I want to talk about there. <laughs> so I kind of put you on the spot. So I'll, I'll share kind of one one thing that was a takeaway from me that would probably be helpful for our people to know is I'll never forget, like we started having meetings and you were a lot in the context building stage. So one of the things that Olivia did is with every person on our team, she did a working, broken, missing, confusing exercise where she just asked like, let's get a picture from your perspective of the current state of our business, what's working, what's broken, what's missing, what's confusing. And so one of the days we spent a morning doing that out on the porch in Mexico. And we finished that. Olivia continued to work on some stuff that morning. I, I, I think I had a coaching call that day or something like that. So I continued to work on stuff that morning. And then we kind of wrap, wrap up work for the day. And that afternoon, we're like hanging with Will and our other friend, Sarah, and we're like walking to the bay and we're like having this great friend conversation and just talking to Noah and, and joking around. And then all of a sudden, I have this idea. And with regard to the business, with regard to what we were talking about with working, broken, missing, confusing, and just for me, I was like, oh, we should absolutely do this with regard to Path for Growth Coaching. And I'll never forget saying that. And I'll never forget you being like, oh, okay. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's good. And I, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, to your credit, I mean, so, so much of our friendship up into that point, it was you were growing Path for Growth. I was growing Olive and Birch. We had so much fun talking about business as our friendship. And so I think it was just really kind of disorienting thing to now be like, oh, when we now talk about fun business topics, it's also work. And we're also hanging out in Mexico. It felt suddenly so confusing. And I think we both felt that. That's right. And I think we learned in an accelerated way. Uh, It's something that we're honestly still working through that a lot of the visionary leaders, I think, struggle with a lot more than they even realize because they're not sleeping on the floor of the person that they're giving their ideas to. And so what I had to learn and what Olivia gave me feedback on within the first week of us working together in this capacity, she said, hey, just recognize like when you say ideas as the CEO of this business, it's really hard to discern 
whether you're brainstorming just like we do as friends all the time or whether you're giving in some ways a command that I'm going to be held accountable to acting upon. And, and she said, like, just so you know, that's a tension that I experience. And that was mind blowing for me because I just I didn't I didn't really think enough about like the shift of context that had occurred between how we used to have those conversations and, and what we did. And so I think the principle here, one of the things that leaders should take away as a practice from this is just remember, we never want titles and roles to become a thing within our company, right? And at the same time, when a CEO says something to a team member, it carries weight. And the CEOs that are not effective with their creativity are the ones that don't live in acknowledgement of that principle and therefore moderate and make sure they create really, really good above and beyond communication about, hey, this is an idea that I have that is something we could do, but I really just want to discuss it with you. And, and then this is something that we should do that I think should transfer into work. That's, that's I guess, the practice that I got from that. Would, would you say that is communicated correctly? I would say so that when, when you're talking, what comes to my mind is we as people can, I can be like this. I don't know if you'll be like this, but I feel like this is a good blanket statement. We as people can miss how things were in the past. So you could, as the CEO of Path for Growth, miss the days where you could just say whatever you wanted to, wanted to me with no repercussions and, and therefore want to act in a way presently of how you used to operate in the past. Or, and that can, that will create a muddled mess really quick. Like if we had continued down that path, I would have been resentful. You would have been frustrated. Things would have broken down. So I think that it's helpful to ask ourselves, what are the things we need to do now to get what we want? And we both said what we want is we want a really healthy friendship and we want to work well together. The cost of giving up that flippant, fun way we used to communicate is not that high compared to living in past habits to keep us from getting what we want, which is those two things. And so I think being flexible as people to some of the standards of the past in order to get ultimately the desired outcomes of the future is key. That's right. And I think this goes along with our treat people like friends core value as well is <laughs> it's like the outcome of that core value is you actually become friends with the people you work with, which I would argue that's way better than the alternative. But it's like you and Zach, I mean, honestly, all our team are people that like I would gladly have dinner with on a Friday night. And I do often. And I think I haven't voiced it this way before, but I think one of the things that I've learned is if I'm having a friend dinner with someone on Friday night, I'm not allowed to talk about something that I'm expecting to transfer into work. Uh, uh, because, and, and, you know, it may sound legalistic to say I'm not allowed, but it's, it's just a good rule to have. It's a good rule to have for me because I shouldn't be talking about that stuff on Friday night anyway, but it's also a good rule for me to be able to honor and protect my friends in that regard. And if you actually want something to transfer it into work, do yourself and others the service of having a meeting that's actually dedicated to asking what's best for this is what I would yes. say. Let's, let's expand this topic past because not everybody works with their friend. Like we have a unique dynamic. I though have the experience of what it's like working with my husband, which a lot of people we work with have that similar experience. 
or apply it to your brother and your or your sister, whatever kind of alternative role that could be attached to someone you work with. And it is okay to over communicate what role you are in in the time that you are talking to that person. So when I was almost a nut when it came to working with Will around right now it's business owner meeting, right now it's date night, right now we're parents, because it just made things not confusing and it allowed the proper expectations to be put on the time. So if I'm sitting down expecting us to solve business priorities and Will's expecting us to sit down and have a glass of wine, that's rat you're going to you're going to have conflict. And so I think spending significant time truly defining the roles that you play in your life and then knowing what your expectations are when you have that role hat on is going to save you so much time and heartache later. That's right. And that's one of the things that we see oftentimes with business owners that are spouses of each other that are related to each other is the first thing that often does the most to benefit their relationship personally and professionally is establish a formal cadence of meetings. And there's always pushback on that, especially if it's a small business, because they say, well, I see this person all the time. I meet all the time. Yeah, yes. it's like we have dinner every <laughs> night. I lay down to them next, next to them every night in bed. And it's like, and yeah, and you think that's a great time to start listing off your checklist and delegating or like, like bro, I'm not Nothing married, says- but <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Nothing says romance like, hey, did you file the taxes? <laughs> that's right. But unless you have a formal cadence of meetings, like that stuff is going to come up all over the place. And who knows if your spouse or your brother or even your best friend is in a position where they're ready to hear that stuff, right? Because they just thought you were having dinner, right? And so if you just create a formal cadence of meetings once a week where that stuff can come out, it will be so valuable to you across the board. And you'll know I'm talking to them on Wednesday. I can bring this up then. Well, you can take this even and I feel like the theme here is just expectation setting. So even if I'm sitting down with Kelly and I schedule time with her and I don't clearly communicate what the time is for, let's say I write in the email, I want to talk about intensive coaching intensives. I may think it's brainstorming time. She may think that it's standard evaluation time. We both come to the meeting without expectations being hit. She has no ideas. I'm frustrated. I'm not giving her any feedback. She's frustrated. It's expectations. So even if it is within a working relationship, how are you proactively preparing the other person to show up to be the version of themselves that needs to be done to get to reach the objective? I think it applies to everything. That's right. And that applies to that principle we talk about all the time is unspoken expectations or front-loaded resentment. And so if you're going to be a leader, it's incumbent upon you to identify what you are expecting and then voice them to others. And if people can't meet and they certainly can't exceed expectations that you've never talked about. 
And so do people that service. Okay, let's move on from that one. And you already alluded to this one in the beginning. So I think this will be good for us to hit on. So the next lesson that you wrote down was start with the end in mind. Never begin a project until you have a clear idea of what winning looks like. Explain why in the first six months that principle was so valuable for you or why that's hit home so much for you. There's multiple ways to this. So first, from our vision which is to operationalize the practice of healthy growth in the life of the impact-driven leader by September 2024. Like a big part of that vision relies on our coaching department. And so that is kind of a daunting task. Like when you think about that statement and you look at where we're at right now, it's like, how do you even begin to do that? And, And I think a lot of problems feel unsolvable because of the scope, the magnitude of them. And so I think super tactically, as far as progressing the coaching department towards that aim, it was asking ourselves, okay, if that that in and of itself is an end in mind, okay, let's define all of the many things that go into that. And then clearly saying, okay, out of all of the many things that go into that, what is something I'm going to do this quarter. And that's like our process of of approaching priorities. But if I clearly know that I'm standardizing one-on-one coaching, then that is a lot easier to create a plan for than let's just start improving things. Like, what does that mean? Um, If I know that I need to create a process for training coaches. Like that was a huge part of what I started working on when I first began. Like if we hire a new coach, how are we going to train them to standard? So I say the end in mind is I want an operationalized process to train coaches. Okay. What does that mean? Well, that means we have standards associated with what our coaches look like. We have a standard for how we train for those standards, et cetera. And then you just keep making it more and more micro and getting to the point of where you are today. Sometimes I feel like it's hard to explain this without doing it visually. So ask follow-up questions that if, if I feel like I've left anything out. Well, I love that you kind of brought in the vision because I think so often it can be really easy from a leadership perspective to not spend time on your three to five year vision because you're like, we're just trying to keep the doors open, dude. Like, and we're in a little bit of survival mode. And what I will tell you is that the thing that you think you don't have time for because you're in survival mode is the thing that will get you out of survival mode. Yes. Right. Leadership is taking people from here to there. And what I didn't realize is that when Zach and I sat down, it was over a year ago now to create that long-term vision charter. It's a full page document of what we want qualitatively and quantitatively for the future of path for growth over the course of the next three years. What I didn't understand is the work that we were doing in that moment would transition into work that I couldn't even imagine at that point. Yeah. And, and the way that what we did in that moment is we said, okay, broadly, what is the destination that we want? And then you in the first 90 days of stepping into the coaching manager have taken that document and it's like, you've got marching orders and you're like, okay, what's the creative best way I can make this future happen? But if we didn't give you a future that we actually wanted, then you still would have been extremely busy. You would have been very busy, right? Because you're a proactive person, right? It's just 
I, I think it would have been really hard to have the focus. And then the other thing I would say too that kind of stands out here is when you're operating, especially on a small team, but I honestly think it's business as a whole, the people that are most effective in business are the ones that have a honed and discerned ability to know which fires to let burn and and equip their team to be able to do the same. And so what's so cool is Olivia knows operationalization is the vision for our business. And so when I have a bunch of ideas of things that we can make better or things that we can improve or things that we need to go step into that aren't related to operationalizing the business, we have literally given her the weapon that she can use to shoot down my excitement. <laughs> and, I, and I say that in kind of a, that's not meant to be a negative way at all, right? Because my excitement could literally be the thing that ends the thing that I love, right? Because Michael Hyatt says distractions often come masquerading as opportunities. And, and I, I mean, I chase opportunity like nobody's business. And unless I have people on my team who have the gumption, the guts, but also the tools to push back on my excitement, I will run this thing into the ground. So I think that that applies to the idea of practicing healthy growth. Something that comes to mind that I hear often is we work with a bunch of business owners and they will be talking about their team and their team's ability to fulfill strategic work in a way. And I'll equate it to the Path for Growth team. You're the visionary, Zach's the integrator, then we have our team. And I feel like our team at every level in some way is doing strategic work. And, and the typical response I get is, well, yeah, yeah, but you're just a team built up of a bunch of business owner-esque minded individuals. I'm like, no, that is a cop out. You can equip your team just as well as our team has. And I think where you start is you as the visionary ultimately gave the ultimate end in mind. Zach and you together then created a more, so that's the vision statement, what I just said. You and Zach then created the vision charter, which is a more specific version with our pillars and our success statements. And then I was able to take that and make it even more specific for the ones that related to the coaching team. And I said, okay, what do we need to do in order to achieve these pillars for them to be green? And then I can give Kelly work. And it's like, we're just assuming that you're the only person on the team that can do strategic work. It's like, no, you can create, you can follow this same format and train your team to everybody wants to hit finish lines. That's, that's just the fact. Everybody wants to move balls forward. They just don't know where to move the ball to. There's not a defined hoop. And so it's like, how much time have you spent really clearly communicating a end vision that can then become more and more detailed the farther down in the org chart you get? Can you honestly say a lot of time? That's right. And, and the vision needs to be quantitative and qualitative. Yes. And, and I mean, some people think that they've done their job as leader because they said, oh, well, our vision is to 5x revenue in three years. Listen, if the only thing you're giving people as a reason to say is a numerical goal, don't be surprised when the reason why they leave is a number, Right. Don't be surprised when someone says, I can pay you more and they leave because the only thing that's keeping them there is a number. So why wouldn't they leave for a bigger number? And, and so give people a compelling future. Yes. And, and I, I honestly think that one of the things that I'm starting to get a little bit more gumption and confidence in challenging people on is I think uh, sometimes people say, well, I'm just not very articulate or I'm just not a good communicator. Or, I don't write very well. So me like writing down 
a dream for my business and then transferring it into workable statements that my team can actually act upon, it's really hard for me because I'm just not articulate. And it's like, okay, well, the good thing is, is you're a human being, so you can become articulate. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you can grow, right? I mean, there, there's nothing that says if you're a bad communicator, communicator isn't an identity, right? Communication is a skill. You can become better at communicating. Stop using it as an excuse that, oh, I'm just not good at this, so I'm not going to do it. Maybe take a writing course or something, right? And and that's honestly one of the blockers that I've seen is people say, oh, I'm just not good at writing. And really, you're going to let that be the cap for your business is you're not good at writing? I just, I'm I'm not okay with that. (laughs) I just have to shout out Ben Stewart right now because he's such a prime (laughs) example of this. He is, he is just absolutely crushing it as far as content goes on LinkedIn. So if you're not following Ben Stewart, Path for Growth, you need to right now. But something that- And just to give people, just to give people insight, Ben is one of our customers. He owns Stewart Contract Packaging and um, yeah, just a leader. He he was one of our first ever one-on-one customers and still one of the most involved members of the community. Well, something, him and I were having a conversation one time and he said something to the extent of like, I don't feel as if I'm naturally very gifted in front of the camera, but I want, I see the value. I want to keep doing this, but then kind of compared himself to you. And I'm like, Ben, like Alex is an amazing communicator. No doubt about it. Like no one can say that that's not true, but you didn't know him six years ago and he wasn't the communicator. (laughs) He was six years ago. He is today. Right. And I say that and I just and, and I know that you take that take that well, but it's like even <laughs> people I mean I, even, I was bad. I was bad. No, you weren't bad. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I I was uh, I was over just to give people insight, I was overwhelming for people, right? I still have energy. <laughs> the the difference between six years ago, Alex, and now Alex is I had zero understanding or ability to moderate my energy and like everything all the time was a level a hundred. <laughs> it just I think it was a little overwhelming for people. I do remember one time someone listened to you. It was uh, one of the summit speakers and you started talking and she's like, okay, well, wow, that was loud. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, the reason that I bring that up, the reason that I bring that up is because we all know you as such a talent when it comes to communicating. And the thing is, is we can't compare our current selves with a version of someone who's been practicing something for six plus more years. I've known you for six years, but more years and say, why am I not getting the same results? Because it's not a matter of whether you're naturally good at it or not. It's a matter of, do you want it? And do you practice it? And if the answer is no to either of those, then of course, why? Like, of course, but I'm not, I don't feel sorry for you. You haven't tried. That's right. This element of comparison too applies organizationally as well. I don't think he would mind us talking about this. One of our customers, Brian works for Raising Canes and I've just become such a Raising Canes fan. It's such a, it's such a soul filled, lively, fast growing organization. It's just so cool. And their product is obviously incredible. It's incredible chicken and incredible French fries. And, and it's also just so simple, right? It's, it's a case study for simplicity in business. It's amazing. But uh, Brian always gives me a hard time because I use a ton of Chick-fil-A references in our workshops and on our podcast. He's like, bro, you got to find some better chicken references, right? <laughs> but but I, I would imagine if I'm that organization, uh, like I'm probably a little bit sick and tired of hearing my 
business compared to Chick-fil-A, right? Because Chick-fil-A mm-hmm. is, they're a remarkable company, right? And they do a very good job. I've talked to multiple of their employees at Raising Cane's and they do a great job of being very gracious and acknowledging Chick-fil-A and then also saying like, we're doing our own thing and we're not trying to be Chick-fil-A. But here's what I thought about is me and my friend were talking about some of the differences and similarities between Chick-fil-A and Raising Cane's. This was Michael, you know, Michael, Michael Mead. We were talking about this in the car one time because we saw two of them right next to each other. And then we just kind of asked the question, we were like, I wonder how long Chick-fil-A has been in business compared to Raising Cane's. And we looked it up and Raising Cane's started like something, I want to say it was in the early 2000s. Hmm. And Chick-fil-A has been around for like 60 years. And and it was like, oh, well, when you look at it in that light, it's like, dang, Raising Cane's is crushing it. Like Chick-fil-A better watch out because like Raising Cane's is like, I mean, just recently they were named the fastest growing restaurant chain in America, right? It's like they've only got 20 years under their belt. And it's like if Raising Cane's was just to compare themselves perpetually to Chick-fil-A, they would never grow. They would never yes. grow because they'd be so defeated. Like how, you know, but man, they're, they're making up ground. And, and I just think it's really important to remember like you're on your path and don't confuse your path with someone else's finish line. Absolutely. Run your race. Yes. Okay. Um, golly. I, I feel like every topic right now that we're talking about, I feel like I end by saying, I just get really fired up about this. <laughs> <laughs> Alex and I get to the end of our podcast and we're like tired and sweating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. The next, the next one is uh, actually a statement that you said in a meeting earlier this week. And I'd love just to dive in a little bit more. Okay. Set your standard for the season you're in. So can you explain what that means and why that ties into the idea of practicing healthy growth? Yes, this is a really good topic for what we just talked about. So this is something that we apply in our business that I have started applying in all areas of my life. And and Zach is the mastermind behind this, which is every person on our team is running at 80% capacity. So what that looks like is if you're a coach, you have a calendar, And you will never have more than 80% of it full with coaching clients. And the rationale there is that when you surpass 80% to get to 100%, let's say, because you might say, well, why would I pay someone to do 80% work, but I'm paying them 100% salary? You're going to ultimately decrease the quality that you're getting. So if you stay at 80%, then your quality is at 100%. For every percent past 80%, your quality is going to go down from 100. And so it's this idea that that we have these, these seasons, these standards that are essentially trying to safeguard the quality that we are giving. So how does that apply personally? I want you to pretend, and you probably don't have to pretend that much because this is probably your reality. It's a really busy time at work. Maybe it's a stressful season in your marriage. Your kids are in Little League, but there's three different leagues. And so you have three different baseball games to get to. Your parents are sick, et cetera, et cetera. Like apply all these circumstances. You are doing yourself such a disservice trying to keep yourself at the same 80% than if those things weren't happening. So you're comparing yourself to the business owner next to you who's 10Xing their business, or whatever it is that they're doing. And you're like, well, I need to set my standard to, to them. You're going to run yourself ragged and your quality is going to go down. And so you need to be really honest with yourself. 
what is the standard? What is my 80% in this season that can still produce 100% quality at the things I'm focused on versus trying to up your capacity, which will ultimately just decrease your quality. And that's what causes overwhelm and anxiety and depression and comparison. And ultimately, you, you end up doing more work for less results. So that's, that's that statement broken down. That's powerful. Can you speak to how that has applied to you personally just right now? Oh my goodness. Right now it's so easy to answer this. So I'm, I'm 35 weeks pregnant and I, um, I feel like I run (laughs) like anyone's anytime anyone shares that I should just be like, congratulations and thank you for your service. Right. (laughs) I thought you were going to be like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I run a very fast paced life. I like, um, having friends over all of the time and, and having big goals and, and having, um, the ability to honestly, like physically do hard things. And when you're pregnant, all so much of your energy is now going towards growing this person. And if I'm being really honest, it is very emotionally and mentally hard for me to be pregnant because the external standards that the world sees have to come drastically down because I just don't have the capacity to do that and grow a person. Like I don't have the energy, I don't have the emotional capacity, the mental capacity, the physical, like things are just physically a lot harder. And so if I were to try to maintain that same standard for a season when I'm not pregnant, I would actually probably have to get medically put on bed rest because I'd push myself too hard. So that's a really easy example because I'm physically dealing with that. But there's so many examples of that that maybe are a little less obvious because Maybe they're not happening with happening within your physical body, but that's my answer for right now. And sometimes the physical example too can be so easily, it's like the most tangible thing we can look at as things that are more abstractly uh, presented in business and within our organization. And I think it applies on like, sometimes I need to go below my capacity or I need to look a little bit less than what the world around me is doing because I've got other priorities and things that are different than me. And and I feel like it goes along with understanding your time horizon. Like what's the game you're playing? If you're trying to go all out over the course of the next year and you need to build a business that you can go public with in the next year, you don't have time to take it easy, right? But what if you're trying to build a business that's thriving and healthy and strong in 50 years. Well, your scoreboard looks different and and the scoreboard determines the game, right? And, and so just remembering that, I think it was Morgan Housel. Did you listen to Morgan Housel's interview with Tim Ferriss? Do you listen to that? Well, I love Tim Ferriss. Um, that one's not coming to mind. So give me, give me a theme or a concept from that. Yeah. So Morgan works for a group called the Collaborative Fund. I'd actually love to have him on this podcast one day. So Morgan, if you're listening, we, we, we'd be honored to have you at some point. He, he's one of my top three favorite writers. Him, David Brooks, and Jordan Peterson are my top three right now. And Morgan writes for a blog on the Collaborative Fund, and he's just one of the most brilliant writers. And he wrote a book called The Psychology of Money that I haven't read the book, but his interview with Tim Ferriss on it was just brilliant. And one of the things that he said is he worked with a financial advisor that really manages the finances of some of the wealthiest people on earth, just, I mean, a high caliber, high net worth individuals. And this financial manager said, you know, all my client meetings look 
pretty the same, right? Like we sit down, we go through how all of their indexes are comparing to others, how the funds that they're invested in are comparing to others, where they're at compared to the market, where like what they're invested in as it relates to the S&P 500, which stocks we should be looking at and all of that. And he said like our quarterly meetings can oftentimes pretty extensive and pretty long. And he said, there's one customer that I have that looks radically different than that. And, and he explains that he sits down with this guy and he said the first time he sat down with him, he started opening up all the folders and all the documents and all of that. And the guy was like, I don't want to see any of that. He said, literally, all I want to know is can me and my wife travel for a month in Europe and still be good? And Morgan's takeaway is like, maybe that's the guy that figured it out. Because he said, what matters to me, what matters to me is that I can continue to live my livelihood and that me and my wife can travel for a month in Europe. And that's what matters to me. And if if I know what matters to me, what everyone else is doing and how I'm doing compared to the market really doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And, and, and I just feel like we don't figure out what matters and therefore we settle for what everyone else is doing and how we line up on that tic-tac scoreboard. Yes. Okay. So I was talking about this in a coaching call this week is, so we're throwing out this idea, this 80% versus 100% okay, my 80% and your 80% look very, very different. And that's okay. And so when I was on the coaching call, the our, our customer said, okay, well, what's the first step to achieving this, this margin, which is ultimately what we're trying to achieve. And the first step is defining for yourself, what does 80% look like in your time, in your marriage, in your business, et cetera. And so if you know what that is, even if you're in a season where you're at, you're actually playing at 120%, you know, okay, here's where I want to be. So what do I need to change incrementally to reduce down to 80? And another thing that we talked about was sometimes you do have to be in a season of, of playing all out. I was in that in May. I had events that I contracted before taking on this full-time job. So I essentially had my job that I do with Path for Growth during the week. And then I worked on the weekends and then I rinse repeat for four weeks. That was playing all out. I had no margin. So then preparing for yourself, what does the time after you're playing all out look like for you to recover, to get back to that baseline? And knowing you can't sustain all out for very long, so you have to have a finger on the pulse of what your time looks like in order to be able to get back to a place of recovery. Oh, there's so many places we could go. We just never have enough time. (laughs) So Jordan Peterson says that there's a psychologically a difference between struggle that you undertake voluntarily versus struggle that's obligated upon you. And so I think it's so important for people to walk voluntarily to the degree that they're able to the season that they're going into. And so I think you and Well do this really well, and especially when you own the other business too. But y'all have also done this with Noah really well. You've just been talking to them about like, hey, you're about to have a brother or sister, like prepare yourself and we need you to volunteer to engage with this in a positive way because it's going to get a little bit harder, right? But I think that actually applies to this principle of voluntary struggle is way way, way more psychologically healthy than obligated. And and we may say, okay, well, struggle is circumstantial. And yes, that might be true. You may have a family member die. You may have uh, the economy you obviously can't control. Something may happen to your business that you can't control. But you get to decide whether or not you're going to engage with that or not. 
And, and it, you can volunteer to engage with that as a person that's healthy and strong. And that in itself will create struggle. But if you volunteer with it, it will go well with your soul, right? And, and you will be better off. So that was one thing that came to mind. Here's the second thing that came to mind. And this is actually, it's content that I've been working on for our experience coming up in July, which is just, oh, you better not have this baby before then. I would just be so <laughs> sad if you can't be there. Um, <laughs> or just bring them. That'd be cool too. Uh, either like right before or after. <laughs> Nothing says shared experience like a woman birthing in, <laughs> in the room, right? <laughs> That's right. We keep telling people we're going to experience growth, literally. There we- Families are going to be grown in the moment. (laughs) Um, Okay, so one of the things that I'm working on is a principle that we're going to talk about at the very beginning that's then going to be a thread that's woven out through our entire four days together is that uh, freedom is not something you earn. Freedom is something you experience. And it's related to a John Piper definition of freedom that he says that freedom is the ability to do what will make you happiest in a thousand years. And I just think that's so beautiful because I think our culture today thinks that freedom is the ability to do what makes you happy. And if that's the case, then freedom is ice cream, right? Mm. You just you just eat ice cream, right? But then you look up after half a day of eating ice cream and you're no longer feeling very free, are you? And so it turns out that instant gratification doesn't create freedom. It turns out that freedom isn't just instant gratification. It turns out that freedom is doing the things that are operating in the best interest of yourself and others long term. And so I just think looking through that lens, why do we not do things that make us free and others free long term? Is it because we can't? I don't think so. I I, I think most of us can right? We live in this country and in this day and age where if you want a specific calendar, if you want to live in a specific location, if you want to get a certain job, like by and large, there's a path to get there. Like you can and thank God for that. Now there's some people in countries that that literally doesn't exist. So I mean, thank God every day for the blessing that you live in a country where that does exist and you can. So, so why do we not if we can't? It's because we won't or we don't. It's because we're unwilling to do what it takes to get the future that we actually say we want or because we just don't do the work. And and I just think it's such a powerful concept, but it's also a pretty intimidating concept when you realize freedom is possible today. I just have to be willing to take the actions that it would take to get there. Mm, that's so good. There's a million ways we could go there. But you're <laughs> asking the question, so I'll refrain. <laughs> um, no, before before we move on, something that comes to my mind, I'm reading this book right now on, on mediocre parenting and how to biblically uh, attack that. And something that the author talks about is just because something is normal doesn't mean that it's right. And just because other pe- people around you aren't experiencing the kind of freedom that you're saying doesn't mean that that's right. And so to constantly be a skeptic of how things are and how things supposedly should be. And just to saying like, even if one, even if 99% of people are like that, I'm going to be the 1% that's not, I'm going to question it. I'm going to figure it out. Mm, I love that. Um, that's such a powerful idea. 
I, I can just hear Dave Ramsey in my mind going, normal freaking sucks. Right? It's like, right. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Okay, before we go, what is something that you're most excited about right now, personally or professionally or both? Well, I'm very excited to have a baby. So I think what's really cool is before I had Noah, I was really nervous and apprehensive about the idea of becoming a parent. And now it's, I just see the fruit and the goodness that comes from stepping into that role. So I'm excited to expand into it. And so I think that that is probably applicable to so many things in so many people's lives is like, just because we can't see why something will be good doesn't mean it's not worth fighting for. And then you'll look back and have the perspective of like, wow, I really expanded as a person. And there was just so much sweetness there. So I'm excited for that. Well, Olivia, I know I've told you this before, like one of my greatest dreams for Path for Growth before I started it was that we would have a team of leaders and just that every single person on our team would be creative, would be visionary, would be excitable, would be passionate would be stubborn, would be independent, and would just be someone that's a joy to work with because they're so proactive and they carry with them such an ownership mentality. And I just think in so many ways, like I'm so grateful people get to hear from your perspective because you are that leader in so many ways, along with the other seven folks on our team. So thanks for everything you're doing. We have no doubt that the best is yet to come. And this conversation was absolutely awesome. Well, I know that that was a really good close, but I have to share this because I think people will really appreciate this. Okay, so... Alex, as we all know, stuffed all his stuff into a Rubbermaid bin and lives out of his car. (laughs) And one of the things was he didn't want to get rid of his bookshelf. And so he said to me and Will, he said, hey, I can't bring all my books with me. Can I put my bookshelf? And he's just such an amazing library. Can I put it in your basement? I said, yes. So something that him and you and I have been doing is I read books from your bookshelf and then I send you three principles and it's this really fun friendship habit. I love it. But one of the books I read this year was The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, and it's your copy. And something that's just really sweet, and I want, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because I, I want people to not be afraid to, to dream in HD, is in this book, one of the laws is that the team is going to take on the characteristics of you as a leader. And so to view yourself and say, what are the characteristics I would want my team to have? So I'm holding your copy and you have a list of pretty much every single adjective that you just said about me is what you wanted your team to have that you view in yourself. And I just think that what what cool perspective. So if you're listening to this and you're afraid to hope for something, don't be. Put it on paper. And that's an example of starting with the end in mind, even if you don't know how you're going to get there. But John Maxwell, baby, right here. <laughs> <laughs> All in there. Oh, golly. Uh, John Maxwell, yes, but Olivia Graham even more so, I would say. Uh, thank you. Y'all are just such a blessing as friends and such a blessing to have as a part of this team. Appreciate you, Olivia. Oh, goodness. I I think by listening to that episode, you can probably just see that Olivia is such a dear friend to me. And she's just a leader that honestly, I I admire and respect so much. And, And that would be my challenge to you as a leader out of this episode is surround yourself with leaders that inspire you to lead at a higher level. 
that's what Olivia does for me in so many ways. And I think one of the many reasons why she does that is she holds herself to such a high standard, both for growth, but also for health. And it's just something that I'm so inspired by, impressed by, and grateful for her influence in my life and in the life of our team. Y'all, if you want more content like this, we send written content in an email every Wednesday. Now, you probably know I hate email because <laughs> I don't think most of it is worth it, right? It's not worth your energy, not worth your time. But we said that if we're going to send an email, it better be worth it. So every Wednesday, we send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. It takes under three minutes to read. We also send a video where I kind of explain the principle in greater depth. So if you want to get on that email list, you can sign up at pathforgrowth.com or at the link that's in the show notes. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.